Well, well done, guys. So welcome to everybody. We're so excited that we can all be together and so thankful for technology that allows us to join here in the congregation, in, uh, in the church, and then at home as still a part of the congregation through technology. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to John chapter 15 and Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in both of those places in a moment. So, have you ever been in a place where you've witnessed a rescue, where lives have been saved and crisis has been averted? So this happened to my wife Linda and I when we were on vacation a few years ago. And so we love vacation and we love to go to unique places if we can. And I also love to fly fish and have a goal of catching a fish, fly fishing in every state. And so both of these kind of happened at the same time on a vacation in the northern part of Maine when our kids were three, five, seven, and eight. And so uh, before we get too far into the story, I just want you to know a couple of things. One, Linda and I really do love our kids. All right? Two, we really do try to keep them safe. All right, so keep that in mind and, and kind of back to the story. So as a selfish dad who loves to fish, I thought it would be a really great idea if we drove into Baxter State Park where there just happens to be a fantastic trout stream called Abel Stream. And I thought it would be great if I fished while my kids played in the stream and my wife stood on the shore watching everybody. So we took a family vote and it probably came across something like this. Hey guys, who wants to see daddy catch a fish and I'll give you candy for every fish. Let's take a vote, right? And, and it just so happens the vote came out five to one, right? In privacy, I won't reveal who the one vote who said no was, right? Democracy at work, I love it. And so we did this. We went in and, and so I set up and happily fished and my kids happily frolicked in the stream and, and Linda happily stood on the shoreline trying to not get eaten alive by all of these mosquitoes that happen to live in Maine, right? And it seemed like her happy was a little bit different than my happy. But on with the story. So I, I hook a trout and I land a trout and I pick up the trout and I go to show it to my family. I call downstream to my family and say, hey, look at the trout I just caught. And at the same time, our youngest daughter, Kate, so we have pictures of, of our kids up here on the screen. And so it's Erica, Max, Thomas, and Kate. And so Kate's in the bottom right, and she looks a little unhappy. Right? This is literally in the stream, Abel stream, that day. And she's a little bit unhappy, and that'll come into play in a moment. So I hook this trout, I show it to my family, and at the same time, our youngest, Kate, slips on the rocks and falls into the stream face first, into the current and begins drifting down the stream. So being the dad of four and the mom of four, we kind of try to understate every crisis that we come into contact with. And so I looked at Kate and looked at Linda and pointed at Kate. And Linda looked at Kate and said to her eight-year-old older sister, Erica, Erica, can you grab Kate and help her out? And Erica just reaches over and stands Kate up, right? The whole rescue took all of about four seconds and crisis was averted. Now, in our family, we still laugh and talk about that, fam about that moment a lot, right? Simply because it was easy and the ending was really safe and good for us. 
But I still think sometimes about the what if of that moment, and Linda does too. And, and in our minds, when we close our eyes and think about that moment, we can still see our little girl floating downstream, unable to swim. And in that moment, Linda and I didn't talk about what we needed to do. We didn't discuss it. We didn't conference about it. We didn't plan. We didn't talk through the implications of it. We didn't review the fact that, that on average, a kid costs uh, $250,000 to raise from, from zero to adulthood. We didn't care about the cost. We would have gladly added any amount of money to that to make sure that she was saved. We rescued her for a simple reason. We rescued her because we love her. That's it. And so today we're going to break down the fact that God rescued us for a reason too. And he sent his son into the world for us and the things that we have done that have kept us from God. And he rescued us for a reason and he rescued us because he loves us. And so that's the main idea today. The big idea is we were rescued for a reason. We're going to hang three points from that. And the first one is that the church was saved to serve. And then we're going to talk about the fact that we were all given gifts for good works. And then lastly, that we were born to bear fruit. All right, so let's jump in to the very first point. And we want to get one thing out of the way, just out of the way really early. There is nothing that we can do that will earn our way into heaven. All right? No action, no result of those actions will ever earn our way into heaven. The problem is, we don't necessarily believe that. And we think that there is something that we can do to earn our way into heaven. And so let's put it this way. Imagine that we took the very best of what we do and we put it in comparison to someone that we considered a master at it. But just in multiply at times the infinity of God. All right, so when we think about it that way, we could never practice and play our way into Mozart's heaven. All right, we could never work out and, and learn to throw a football well enough that we could throw our way into Tom Brady's heaven. And we could never study and think our way into Plato's heaven. It's not ever going to happen. We could never sprint our way into Usain Bolt's heaven. It just doesn't work. And we can never work our way into God's heaven. Isaiah 64, in fact, says that our very best works and the most righteous things that we do are considered filthy rags to God when we use them to try and impress him and earn our way into heaven. So let me give you just kind of set this up as an example. I literally went in to my closet and picked the very best of what I own to wear today, right? I don't usually wear a suit. So I went in, and this is my best dress shirt, my best tie, this is my best suit, my best pair of glasses, my best watch, my best shoes. Like, this is it. So if you're hoping for better, this is the best I can do. <laughs> so imagine if you're dressed in your very best clothes, or you're in a tuxedo, or in your wedding gown, or a prom gown. And it's a beautiful day. It had, it's the springtime. It had rained the night before, and everything is in bloom, and the sun is out. And you're on your way to the venue, and, and so you pull up to the venue, and you open the door, and you slide out on the leather seat, and you start walking in. And it's just a beautiful day. And as you're walking in, someone reaches down 
into the gutter and pulls out a white t-shirt that had been there all winter long. And they start walking towards you quickly and you know that they're going to hand it to you. What would your reaction in that moment be? Well, that's God's reaction to us when we try to use our good works to impress him and earn our way into heaven. And so I love Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Probably, it's easily one of my two favorite passages, and John 15 may be the other one. And, and I love it because it talks about how worthless our works are in the midst of this great rescue story in which we're the main characters. And so let's read it together. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It says all of mankind can't do it. We all have trespasses and sins that keep us from God. And then we get to this amazing point in this rescue story that I think may be my favorite two words in all of Scripture. And it's this great hinge point in the story of humanity. These next two words are so key. It says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I love that. And so we're going to leave verse 10 up on the screen because we want to be able to continue to look at that when we think about this. So remember last week we talked about Hebrews chapter 12 and that cloud of witnesses and the therefore that pointed back to these great people of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Well, this is saying that those same witnesses that are cheering us on had good works set up for them to do. And they're cheering us on because they've done their good works and they're cheering for us and helping us run our race to do the plans that God has already laid out for us. I love that. That's just amazing. And so our church this year is setting out in the next 12 months with this goal that is just a giant goal. And even with quarantine, and even with COVID, and even with only being allowed to have 150 people in a room at a time, we're still setting a goal to serve 100,000 hours in the next 12 months. And what I love about this goal is the fact that we've never done a goal like this. And additionally, it will take every single one of us to accomplish it in the next year. And that's really exciting. 
And so we're not doing this to boast because we're a big church. We're not doing this because we found some piece of scripture that makes makes it a requirement for us and we're being legalistic. We're doing this for two spiritual and biblical reasons. And the first is serving is how you worship. So Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's saying, this is Paul, the author, he's writing this and he's saying, whatever it is that God calls you to do, you are the sacrifice. Right? They used to lay a sacrifice on the altar. Now we are the sacrifice. And so we have an opportunity to use our lives as a living sacrifice, moment by moment, and that is our spiritual worship. So that's the first thing. And the second is that serving is an eternal investment. And I love what it says in Galatians 6. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And it goes on. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I love that. So think about the cloud of witnesses. What if they grew weary and gave up? You see, we, all of us, are their harvest. They are reaping us because of what they did, because they didn't give up. Sometimes I think about my life and the people who went ahead of me, and what if they chose not to? What if they didn't? What if the children's worker, when I was a, a little boy in Sunday school, what if, what if he and she didn't show up and said, ah, they'll be fine? I want to sleep in that day. Or what if the youth leader, when I was a kid and a crazy teenager, said, you know what, I don't really care about the next generation. I think they're a lost cause. He certainly is, because I probably was, far from Jesus. Or what if when my wife Linda and I walked through the doors here the first time 25 years ago in the little chapel, and no one greeted us, no one shook our hands, no one said, we're so happy that you're here. And what if nobody came and turned on the lights and set up things so that words showed up on the screen? And what if no one said, you know, Medford is an amazing place to plant a church, and I want to give money to that. What if nobody built that little chapel? What if nobody gave to build the next building? What if nobody gave to build this building? What if Marty 40 years ago said, you know... I'm a pretty good painter. I don't think I want to preach. I think I just want to paint the rest of my life. What would the implication be here and now? Because we are what is being reaped. And if that's the case, well then let's think about the next generation. And what does that mean for us? What if we don't use our gifts? Because our second point is the fact that we have all been given gifts for good works. So, when I was 12 years old, I had the privilege of going to the Spectrum, the old Spectrum, and sitting in the 11th row and watching Larry Bird play Julius Irving in a basketball game. 
So if you're not familiar with the NBA, there are two of the most prolific scorers and incredible basketball players in the history of the game. And then a few years ago, friends of ours took us to see Bruce Springsteen sing at MetLife Stadium. And we got to sing and dance and and yell for hours on end with 60,000 of our closest friends. And then two weeks ago, I sat in your seats and I listened to Pastor Marty preach an amazing sermon on giving. And I was thinking about it. I've probably heard Marty preach a thousand times in 25 years. I'm just guessing it's probably a number that works. And that sermon was among the best that I've ever heard him give 40 years into his career. And it was just an example of him using his gift and Bruce Springsteen using his gift and Michael, uh, Larry Bird, almost said Michael Jordan, Larry Bird and Julius Irvin using their gifts. And we've all been given gifts, and we've been given gifts to use for God's glory. And we have so many volunteers here that use the gifts that they have been given. So many of you serve. I'm just looking out at all of your faces, and I know so many of you serve, and it's amazing and great. And I know those of you who are at home serve in your ways that you can right now as well. And it's awesome to see how we do this. Because serving is one of our points of engagement. Remember last week we talked about connecting and serving and giving and inviting, right? Four simple words, one powerful impact. Well, serving is one of our ways of engaging. And so if you're not serving either inside of our walls here in ministries with FAC or outside of our walls, well, then you're not fully engaged here. And we have so many people who are engaged. In fact, you could probably pick any number and I could tell you that many stories of people who are serving. And so for the sake of time, I'll just pick three. And so we have an awesome prayer ministry here. And there's a team of people who's, who are just dedicated to praying. Praying for the service, praying for you, praying for requests that come in. They're up here in the front after every service, just waiting for you to bring any needs. And they just want to walk with you and pray for you in that time. We had a prayer meeting church-wide via Zoom on Wednesday night, and so many of you joined the staff to pray about three things, about fear and healing and the next senior pastor. And it was such a joy to be able to pray together. And this ministry is led by a man named Mike Cole, who knows that God has called him into this ministry of prayer. He knows it. And so he feels so strongly about this ministry that he approached FAC a couple of months ago and he said, hey, here's really what I'd like to do. I'd like to come and work at FAC 20 hours a week and just work to have ministry connect more with prayer. Can I do that? Oh, and by the way, God's blessed me with a fine salary. I don't need any money. I just want to volunteer and do this. And being a prayer ministry, we said, well, we'll pray about it and we'll get back to you. Just kidding. We said, yeah, absolutely. We would love for that. We're so excited for Mike to come on our staff and be a part of this and move our ministry forward so that we can pray more and more. He is moving the hearts of people forward as he rescues them with God through prayer. Or about George and Wanda Stein. Now there is a team. So George and Wanda Stein, they're community group leaders. They serve every week in the information desk. And last week... They mourned again the 32nd anniversary of the death of their son, John, who died simply crossing the street one day in a great tragedy. And they mourned his death. 
amazing. And a few years later, they started a ministry here at FAC called Helping Hand Grief Support. And for the last 29 years, every single Monday night, they have led a ministry to help people grieve their loss. And thousands of people in our region have gone through this and found care and love and support as they grieved. It's amazing. And they have continued, even through this quarantine and COVID time, they have continued to do this. And now people come in and call in through uh, our technology from other states and even other countries around the world. And it's amazing. And so I had this chance to sit down with George and Wanda a couple of weeks ago. And Wanda said, it's the three of us. It's God, George, and me, and all the leaders. And God gave us this to minister to others, and God gets the glory, and people get the healing all over the world. And we're passionate about it, and I love this. She said, there is joy even in the loss. And even meeting via Zoom, they still get 100 to 110 people every single week. And George said, regarding serving, he said, I'll die with my shoes on. You have to have meaning and purpose. And so George and Wanda have meaning and purpose, and Mike Cole has meaning and purpose, and they are reaching in, and they are rescuing people with where they are. And so maybe you're hearing these stories, and you're not currently serving. And if you're not currently serving, I hope that you're saying, how can I do more? I want my life to matter more. I want to have meaning and impact. Well, I went through this challenge myself because I wanted to make sure that I was an example of this request and not an exception. So a few years ago, I started serving with Snowden, our special needs outreach and witness for adults with special needs. I'd never worked with that population before and I just felt God was leading me into this space that I saw that there was a need. And so I just volunteer my time there. It's on my day off. I come in and I serve a couple of hours. And it's amazing. I serve on a couple of boards and committees with our town. Because I want to make sure I was serving inside of the church and outside of the church. And yes, it costs me something. Right? Serving always costs us something. But I love... What Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, he said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And time and time and time again, I have found my life because of what I have lost for the name of Jesus. There are a couple of commands of scripture that I, that I really appreciate. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another for love and good deeds. And Galatians 5, 13 says, through love, serve one another. So it doesn't really matter how you start or where you start. It's just that you do start. And so we need to consider how we can stir up one another and how we can speak into each other's lives and motivate each other to do this. And time has got to be a question, right? We're all so busy. How do we do this? Well, Comcast came out with a study this year and they said that the average household watches 66 hours a week of content. 66 hours. And you might say, well, yeah, that's because of COVID. Okay. Eight hours were added because of COVID. So last February, the average household watched 58 hours of content. And so even if you watch 50% of the content of the national average, that's still 1,500 hours a year. 
of content. And so here's our big challenge and what we'd love you to commit to. One hour a week. Will you commit to serve one hour a week, either in a ministry here at FAC or beyond our walls, to make an impact in the name of Jesus? And you might still be saying, yeah, I, I, I don't have an hour a week to give, Eric. All right, I get it. It's a lot. It's nine minutes a day. All right? You know how many times in a given day I waste nine minutes in a row? I still have 23 hours and 51 minutes left to do whatever I want. We still have 167 hours in a week to do whatever we want. We still have 8,686 hours in a given year to do whatever it is that we want. And so hopefully you're saying, okay, great, I'll do it. And how can I do it? And I'll say this, just point one, or step one rather, start somewhere. Just start anywhere. I love what John Eldred says. He says, figure out what makes you come alive and go do that. Step two, prayerfully consider what Romans chapter 12 says and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They lay out the spiritual gifts and help us understand that the whole body of Christ needs to use all of our gifts to move the gospel forward. Lastly, maybe you don't know, but what, what those gifts are. Take a spiritual gifts assessment. We have one on our adult ministries page. It's just a list of questions that help you kind of refine and identify the way that God has wired you. Sit down with the staff. Work with the Next Steps team. Let us use our gifts to help you find yours because we all have gifts and you can do this. And you can do it because of point three. We, were, we recognize that we were all born to bear fruit. And so as we look at this, we recognize that a giant goal like 100,000 hours of serving means that we are a church that desires to bear really significant fruit. So the question is, how do you bear fruit? And what is fruit? And so we'll look at the first one, what is fruit? And we'll look at it through John chapter 15 and the first five verses. It says this, Jesus says, I am the true vine, And my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so the first question, what is fruit? And so I heard a a pastor named Vance Pittman. He's a pastor in Las Vegas. Someone sent me his sermon on this particular passage, and I loved it, and I recommend that you find it somewhere. It's fantastic. And he used this definition of fruit that I just appreciate. And And it says this, Spiritual fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived through me. All right? Spiritual fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived through me. Okay, so I really want all of us to get this. So take off your church hat for a moment. Don't think Bible. Don't think church. Don't think scripture. Think farming. Think agriculture. What is fruit? Well, fruit is whatever is in the tree 
coming out in the branch. Right? Really simple. So you have an apple tree, what's coming out in the branch? Apples. You have an orange tree, what's coming out in the branch? Oranges. You have a plum tree, what's coming out in the branch? Plums. You have a grapevine, what's coming out in the branch? Grapes. So fruit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. And Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So the fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived through me to the glory of God. So fruit is not me trying to change my life from the outside. It's not me trying to conform to a new pattern of behaviors. It's not me trying to flip over a new leaf. Fruit is the glorious work of the Spirit of God on the inside, changing me and conforming me more and more into the image of Jesus Christ through my union with Christ. I am growing fruit from the inside out. So listen closely. This passage says that we don't need Jesus to help us. We need Jesus to live through us. Remember in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. The problem is, we think it just means we can't do big things without God. But that's not what it says. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Let me live through you, and everything that I do through you will bring glory to God. Because apart from me, you can't do anything. Right? That's fruit. The life of Jesus in us being lived through us. Okay? So if bearing fruit is what defines us as a Christians, and if bearing fruit is to be our lifestyle, and if bearing fruit is what brings glory to God, well then how do we bear fruit? Well, it's interesting that in these five verses, even though Jesus uses the term bearing fruit five different times, he never commands us to bear fruit. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus never commands us to bear fruit. You see, bearing fruit is not the focus of the life for us as believers. There's only one command in John 15, 1 through 5, and it's not bearing fruit. But sometimes we live like it is, and it becomes our discipleship process. And so when it's our discipleship process, it ends up being, hey, go and bear fruit. And we get people who, who just say, well, do this and do this and do this, and don't do that. And don't do that. And don't ever do that. And what do we end up with? Really tired Christians. People who try really hard to live a good Christian life. I mean, have you ever tried really hard to lead a good Christian life? And what does it do for you? Well, it makes you exhausted. And then you're just right back up here at the altar the next week. Did you ever walk through the woods and, and hear an oak tree trying to make an acorn come out? Or did you ever walk through the orchards during picking season at Johnson's Quarter Farm and hear an apple tree just saying, oh, I gotta make an apple. No. The apple tree is doing one thing. That branch has one thing on its mind. It is holding on to the tree as best as it possibly can for all that it's worth. And Jesus only gave us one command in these verses, and it's abide in me. That's it. 
abide in me. All a branch can do is hold on to the vine for all that it's worth. Because life is in the vine. It's not in the branch. You want proof? Go home and cut a branch off a tree and see what happens. Which one gets stronger and which one withers and dies? There's no life in the branch. It's the life of the tree being lived through the branch. And that's what makes the fruit. Plain and simple, a branch that's not connected to the vine simply dries up and dies. And to thrive, the branch needs to be connected. It needs to hang on. It needs to abide. And when we abide in Jesus, the fruit naturally happens. And so to bring this full circle, we were rescued for a reason, right? We already established that. And we were a church that was saved to serve, and God has given us gifts for good works. But none of that matters. The 100,000-hour goal doesn't matter if we don't abide in Jesus. We can go out and work our fingers to the bone. There's 2,000 people in this church this weekend. Between here and people who will watch this, thousands of people, we could do this goal in one week. We all go out and work 50 hours. It just doesn't matter if we don't abide in Jesus. If we don't hold on to who Jesus is with all of our might. And when we do that, then the fruit comes. Then it comes. And that's what we want fruit that just comes naturally because we have been so focused on who Jesus is. All right, so we need to wrap up. I want to ask you a question in which the answer implicates you for the rest of eternity. Has anyone ever asked you a question like that? Your answer to this question will implicate you for the rest of time, the rest of your existence. What is your branch attached to? Because if it's not attached to the right thing, it is going to wither and die. And I know that there are people in this room and people at home who know this because you are withering and you're dying and you can feel it in your bones. And you're attached to money or retirement or health or your athletic ability, or your scholarships, or your college career, or your friends, or school, or your job. And if you attach yourself to those things, you're just going to wither and die. But if you attach yourself to Jesus, that's where you thrive. And so we're going to pray about this. We're going to pray about the 100,000 hours and that God will bless us for that. And that'll be an awesome thing for us to celebrate a year from now. We can't wait for that. But that's secondary. Church, that is so secondary to abiding in Christ. And so we're going to pray more about abiding in Christ and even helping everyone answer that question about what you are attached to. So let's pray. And Justin's going to come out in a moment. He's going to, when I'm done praying, he's going to kind of walk us through some next steps. So let me pray. Lord God, it would be awesome for us as a church 
in a year to celebrate that we spend a thousand hours of volunteering. Because serving is worship. Serving is an eternal investment, God. And you've given us gifts to be able to use for your glory. And we pray that we will be able to use them and really celebrate this. But God, if we miss this abiding thing, if we don't have our branch attached to you, it's just a waste of time. They're just filthy rags, God. God, there are people here and people at home as part of our congregation that are withering and dying because they're not attached to you. And I'm not talking about their health or their age. I'm talking about their spiritual, eternal measure against you and with you. And God, I pray in this moment that you are simply breaking their hearts because they recognize that the leaves are starting to dry and crack at the end of their branch. And they've been focusing on what's coming out of the end of the branch and not focusing on what the branch is connected to. God, I just lift up those people, those men and women and kids in this moment. Or break their heart. Help them to see for the first time that they're not attached to you. And if this is you, if you're one of those people who recognize right now that God is calling you to attach yourself to him as the true vine, then I would just want to challenge you to pray. God, I know I'm not attached to you. I know Jesus is the true vine and I want to attach myself to him. And I know that there are things in my life that keep me from being in your eternal favor. And no matter what I try to do, I am not good enough to get into heaven. And I recognize that your free gift of Jesus is all from your grace because I don't deserve it. And Lord, I want to start a new relationship with you today because I recognize that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again three days later, triumphant, having defeated death. And I want to start a new life because I know the answer to my question, if I don't connect myself to you, then for the rest of eternity, I will wither and die. God, I pray that there are people here that prayed that prayer. I pray that there are people in our community that prayed that prayer. I pray that there are people at home that prayed their prayer every age. It doesn't matter if you're 80 or 8. Lord, you have called us to yourself. We were the ones that were drifting downstream, face down, drowning, and you put your hand out to rescue us. Lord, help us to grab that hand for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Justin, thank you. Uh, great job, Pastor Eric. I don't know about you, but that was an extremely challenging sermon. And at the end, my life verse is John fifteen five, And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but 
when you're not abiding in Christ, I don't know if you noticed it, sometimes it's really easy to live an inward-focused, self-centered life. But when you are abiding in Christ and you are living in him, you know what Christ does? He does a work in your heart. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new eyes to see the needs around you and to be able to love them the way that he does. So here's what we're going to do this year. We are so excited. We are so excited to serve alongside of you. We're going to hit that goal of 100,000 hours. Here's what we need. Every man, woman, teenager, child here today watching online, and if they call if they see their home, to serve just one hour a week for the next 52 weeks. And you know what? Not only will we hit that goal, we will surpass that goal because I will tell you what, I have seen FAC over the years and what happens when this body comes together unified, serving in Christ. So here's what you can do. Pray about it on the way home. Think about it. Talk with your family. Talk with your community groups. And then you know what you need to do? Jump in. Find a place to start. Find a service project. But here's the key. We need you involved. We need to hear from you. When you've served, after you've served, we want you to go onto myfec.org slash serve. And there's a button that says, I served. Click on it. We have a very simple form for you. When you go online, it has basic information and you can tell us how many hours you served and you can tell us how you served. And there's even a place to put pictures on there. Why? Why do we want you to do that? Because you matter, your story matters, and your serving matters. So take some time today, pray about it, and jump in. And with that, church, that's the end of today's service. God bless.